So this morning reading is Psalm 103. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but if you want to follow it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 609. 609. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and deals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sons deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray. Father, I pray that the words I read this morning would be words that have come from you and will speak into our hearts. Amen. Uh, as some of you may know, I think we've got a very... Um, remember the word now but she's uh, she's been inspired to go off and get them we do have activity packs at the back if any children would prefer to be doing some coloring or activities rather than listening to me that's fine adults i might take a little bit of offense but hey uh, we're currently part way through a series on psalms the language of prayer and this week we're looking at psalm 103 with the title meditation so I have a question for you. What does meditation mean to you? Perhaps it means sitting cross-legged with your hands on your knees and your eyes closed, emptying your mind. 
Or maybe it conjures up the idea of having some sort of out-of-body experience. But the Christian use of the word meditation means something different. The word meditation comes from the Latin word meditare, which means to reflect, to study, to practice. The Christian meditation is a form of prayer. And that means it's a way in which we communicate with God and he communicates with us. It's a structured attempt to become aware of and reflect upon the revelations of God, focusing on specific phrases or even a single word from scripture, allowing God to speak that word or phrase and affect a change in the heart. The goal in Christian meditation is not out of body or an empty mind, but instead we fill our minds with scripture, dwelling on God and everything he offers humanity. So it would be appropriate to call Christian meditation holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, by the help of God, under the eye of God, as a means of communication with God. The Bible itself describes meditation on God's word as what it reveals about God, his works, deeds, promises, and unfailing love. And so we could take a quick look at some of those. Philippians 4, verse 8 Paul stresses that we should be filling our minds with what is true, right, and pure, praiseworthy even. There is emphasis on what we allow into our minds and where our thoughts lead us, which reflects Jesus' words when he stressed that, for example, adultery and murder were expressed in our minds as lust and anger. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Romans, we're reminded that we'll struggle to control the wanderings of our mind in our own strength. We must allow a transformation by the renewing of our mind. And part of that renewal is that we will be able to recognize the will of God. And in Colossians 3, we're encouraged to become a dwelling place for the word of God. And note that this is not just individually, but also as a church, as God's people, collectively. J.I. Packer describes a method of approaching meditation, which is a modified version of the Lectio Divina, which translates as divine reading. Some of you may have heard of this before, and I believe we've used it relatively recently during our Holy Week evening meetings. Although, as I was saying just before the service, went recently to me is probably any time in the last 10 years. So <laughs> but I'm, I'm fairly sure I've, uh, I remember it being used within that time. So the method starts by taking time to prepare to communicate with God by spending some time in silence. Then, one reads the passage aloud several times, slowly, and emphasizing different words each time. 
with the purpose of allowing the words and meanings to sink into the soul. For this reason, this type of meditation is not done on, for example, the whole of Psalm 103. I think it would take a very long time to go through the whole of that psalm many times, emphasising different words. So be careful if you're choosing a passage that you want to reflect on to make sure that it's achievable in the time that you've got. Meditation is like chewing. It is slow and thorough. This is a point in the process where notes are made, connections are drawn between sections or other readings that you've looked at in the past, and questions on the scripture are considered. It's an opportunity to make the passage personal. Then one moves on to prayer. And this, is, this prayer that follows is an opportunity to use the passage as a structure for responding to God and what he has shown. Contemplation is another period of silence and stillness, asking God to highlight any areas of life that need further attention, contemplating God's love and power. And then we finish uh, this particular structure with living out, which is an application of that revelation being a priority. How we put the meditation into practice. Now that we have a clearer idea of what Christian meditation is and how we can start our own journey into meditation, let's take another look at Psalm 103 and consider how it fits in the category of meditation. So the psalmist was reflecting on the scripture of the Torah, which is the first five books of our Old Testament. These books teach of the incredible works of God, from the creation to the flood, Abraham's story, Jacob's deceit, and Joseph's deliverance. There are instructions for Passover, the Day of Atonement, and other festivals celebrating what God has done and continues to do. So it's no surprise that the psalmist starts and ends with a call to praise the Lord, and not just with his words, but with his whole self. He goes on to list the reasons why God should be praised. The outcome of his meditation starts with the things that God does. And note that he uses the present tense to show that what God has done in the past will not change because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. From everlasting to everlasting, he says. He lists these things. He forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns with compassion, he satisfies desires, renews youth, and works righteousness and justice. These are reasons for praising the Lord with our inmost being, and that's just for starters. The psalm goes on to explore the character of God in addition to what he has done and is doing. And if we go through the two sections in the middle, we can see a huge number of attributes. He's compassionate twice. That's mentioned twice. Not he's just compassionate twice. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. That one gets mentioned three times. He doesn't hold on to anger. He won't always accuse. He's merciful. He removes sin. 
He is knowing. He knows each one of us deeply. And he is eternal. All of these traits are found throughout those stories from the Torah. His compassion for his people when they were slaves. His grace as he kept forgiving them, even though they kept pulling away from him. His mercy in so many situations. His instructions for the Day of Atonement, a way in which all of Israel could be forgiven. Their sin removed, laid upon a scapegoat. And his eternal nature, that he existed before time. I could go on and on, but I won't. The first time our side, the human side of the covenant is mentioned, is almost at the end of the psalm. The Lord's love and righteousness are with those who fear him, who keep his commandment and remember to obey his precepts. In other words, his people. The Lord's love is with his people. The people who live his way, who acknowledge him as the one God and act accordingly, who know who he is and choose to follow him. The psalmist ends where it began, but the joy in his heart seems to be making it burst. No longer is his praise alone enough. He starts with, praise the Lord, O my soul, but he finishes with calling on angels, heavenly hosts, and the whole of creation to join him in joy, praising the Lord. And so must we. Seek the Lord and we will find him. Meditate on his word and discover the truth with which he wants to fill your heart. Amen. As we take some time to reflect on those